the Empire Podcast this week, we finally get to sing Peter Mullen. 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 As the great Scottish actor Peter Mullen drops by uh, while Tina Fey and Paula Pell. Paula Pell. No. No. Also drop by to talk sisters. Uh, all that and more on the movie podcast that is intrigued by the idea of a film about Eddie Marsan, but isn't sure that Alexander Skarsgård is the right person to play him. Uh, I think, uh, never mind, we'll get to it. Hello, Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, as ever, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up, a woman whose commute to the office has been cut down massively recently since she started using TFL's new dragon hire service instead instead of bikes. Uh-huh. You use a dragon. Right. It's Helen O'Hara, our geek queen. How are you? I mean, how would that even work? I don't know how they'd feed them. Where would like, you park? what would you? You'd be worried about accidental burning and scorching. Mm. You know, don't get me wrong. I like the idea. I just think we need to workshop it a little bit more before we put it into the into the, dry, the dinosaurs in the Velociraptors in Jurassic World. Yeah, he, he he kind of puts them through there. Sure, yeah, into those. Yeah, but I mean, of, that would, that's a Boris bike. But, type but that scenario. went horribly wrong, you know. And a, they can't fly, and b, they can't breathe fire. And see, they're actually smaller than your average dragon. Although, of course, it depends yeah. on. You'd get to work a lot quicker if you were riding a Velociraptor, wouldn't you? Though, I mean, people would just get the hell out of your. Yeah, way. that's that is true. I mean, you would risk losing an arm every time you got on or off the Velociraptor. I guess there's positives and negatives. Yeah, to this. and they're not going south of the river, mate. <laughs> not this time of night. <laughs> Next up, you've just heard him as a man whose commute to the office has been increased considerably since he started using TFL's new Uh-oh. Battleship Potemkin Hire Service. But it didn't... It's really what? finding it hard to get down the stairs. <laughs> it's, it's, it's our art house guru, Phil Dissemblian. Yes. Look, I wrote this in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Chris, no. it doesn't show. It doesn't, it doesn't show? Good. How are you, Phil? Boris Battleship. Boris Battleship. See, that that works. Mm. There's no alliteration with Velociraptors or dragons. You could have said I travel in only using available light. (laughs) So I'm usually late. (laughs) That's much better. Do you want me to go back and do that? No, it's not much better. They're they're all equally bad. Anyway, hi. Welcome both. Hello. Welcome both. Hope you're well. Uh, Let's kick off with a a question. This is a Mm. question from Twitter from at Mr. Graham Pierce. He says, what happens... If the Force Awakens isn't very good, oh. uh oh. Um, um, he then goes on to say, you know, will it cause problems for the franchise going on? Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, you know. But- I think you're going to have to talk an awful lot of geeks off an awful lot of ledges if it's not, if it's not very good. <laughs> It'll just be people clinging to the walls of Forbidden Planet. Don't jump! Rogue One might be great. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll go, yes, I mean, on reflection, Monsters was very good, but now I'm thinking about Godzilla, I don't know what to do. <laughs> There's still civil war to live for. But I'm more of a DC guy. Um, yeah, what, what happens? What happens if it's not very good? I think it doesn't matter a jot to the franchise if it's not very good. I think I think it just carries on. They make episode eight and they have different filmmakers each time. And Yeah, and they try to make each one each one better and better. I mean, they're going to do that in any case. They're going to try and make each episode better and better because yeah. that's what you have to do now. And I think that's what, that's what Marvel and Pixar's consistent run of success has shown. You have to put the effort in every single time to outdo yourself, not just in terms of spectacle, but in terms of story as well. And I think, you know, that's what, Universal have done with Fast and Furious that's what honestly I'm, I'm standing by that that comment but you know it's, it's. I think that's the modern 
way they have learned that there is a value, a proven value in making a good film. And I think there's being a bit more effort to do that now mm. for most studios, for most filmmakers, than just to give us spectacle. I think they realise that adding in a story massively increases your back end. So I think that they have already sweat, blood and tears, which sounds like a really dangerous medical condition, to make... <sighs> The Force Awakens as good as it can be. We've got to hope that that's good. And I'm not really ready to contemplate the <laughs> possibility that it isn't. By this time next week, by this very podcast next week, Friday the 18th of December, in the year of our Lord, 2015, we will have seen, in fact, most of you will have seen, I guess, yeah. except for our American cousins, probably. We'll have seen The Force Awakens. And so we'll be able to discuss it. Yes. We'll be talking about it. And, you know, will the bloom be off the rose? Phil... We're a few days away from watching it. Mm. What's your feeling? What's your gut feeling telling you? Hasn't J.J. Abrams just revealed what the second word of the film is? Is okay. it is? I don't What was the first word? I've this. forgotten already. This. This. It takes such a long gap between the, him announcing the words that I forget what the word before was. <laughs> this is. I'm d- I'm get, I don't you know. Say? Oh, you don't know. What, what is the second word? I from? don't know. Well, you brought it up. I know. Which is weird <laughs> in reflection. I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking. <laughs> the anticipation of finding out what the third word is. Well, we don't know what the second Where word is. Where would we get the whole script? How long would this take at the current rate for us just to find out what happens? I think they are releasing movie. the film next week. Okay, so just gonna... there's no time for that. That approach. We're going to have to see it for ourselves. I think this is going to be a really, really good film. I had a good feeling about it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. All the things that really hated about the prequels have been, I think, remedied. Hopefully, obviously, we don't know quite if the plot issues have been remedied but Mm -hmm. the visual candy land of those films we are moving away from (laughs) so i've got a really good feeling about it visually at least and you know it's got a great cast you've got a good feeling about this have you never paid attention to a star wars film we're supposed to have a bad feeling about. never tell them the odds (laughs) okay the second word by the way is will this will this will this will really put the cat among the pigeons if it isn't any good Mm. this will Speaking of the first line of things, this isn't strictly relevant to what we're talking about, no, so apologies. Um, but I watched The Danish Girl last night, and there's a scene at the very beginning where Eddie Redmayne's character, the beginning of the mm-hmm. film, is, is showing his art at a gallery, and the art dealer says that he wouldn't describe him as the best artist in Denmark, but he's in the top one. <laughs> is that not a Bill Shankly quote? It's a Brian Clough. Brian Clough quote. Brian Clough. Right. Now, of course, who directed The Damned United? Tommy. About uh, Brian Clough. <gasps> Interesting. Okay. Did you just think of that? Or I did that... just think of that. Right, okay. This is real-time journalism. Wow. Write it down, Chris. This is how it happens for me. Let's try this again sometime. <laughs> <laughs> what, thinking? Perhaps when it comes to, to writing your intro next week, I'll, I'll actually give it some thought. If Instead I'll... of just going, uh, Phil, uh, Phil... Battleship Potemkin! Battleship Potemkin! That'll do! It felt really anachronistic, though. And I just felt, I don't know... You want you don't want that in the first line of Star Wars. Well, but want... most people who will be seeing the Danish Girl won't have heard that Brian Clough quote. Okay. What was the actual quote? I wouldn't say I'm the best football manager around, but I'm the best. I'm, I'm in the, the best. I'm, I'm in the, in the, the top, top one. one. Yeah. Yes. Got to love a bit of Cluffy. You don't think Graham Pierce has anything to worry about? The Force Awakens is going to be good. We we don't know this for sure. Yeah. Genuinely, haven't seen it. So, fingers crossed. If it isn't very good, it might make a dent in the box office. The way that The Phantom Menace was being held as the biggest movie ever, 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 and then the bloom came off the rose very, very quickly, and it didn't get the repeat business that. I mean, it, it still yeah. was huge. Yeah, it'll still be big, but it may not be. But yeah, a record breaker if it doesn't get the good reviews, the good mm-hmm. word of mouth as well. But yeah, it's Star Wars. I think it'll it'll still be a juggernaut. As the current acting reviews editor on the magazine, if it isn't good, it's going to be. Uh, 
an interesting one to get reviewed. So that'll be exciting. That'll be a challenge for next week. My five-star review, Helen, is, has, has been written for some time. <laughs> yeah, Chris, that um, review... <laughs> it, it, you may think it's just the Attack of the Clones review with the names changed. I mean, you it, would be right. That was the impression I had. Also, you used the word zomga which I'm not sure is really a word, like a lot. So, yes. I, I, you know, once I took those out, you were 800 words short of the word count. I mean, it was only an 850-word review. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Doing that, that's great if you're trying to, you know, hit word count. Star Wars The Force Awakens, directed by J.J. Abrams and starring Harrison Ford, John Boyega, Daisy Ridley, Mark Hamill. <laughs> you just list the actors. It was an old trick you used to do if you had, say, 100-word reviews to write of... <laughs> Of TV shows, you would literally just go, "Well, this is a great season, containing such uh, such great episodes." As you would list the episodes, and then go four stars at the end of it. But uh, that was back in the day. You would never. I was, I was young. And you needed the work. I, I was young, naive, and foolish. I think you're okay, Mr. Graham Pierce. It's going to be fine. We will be having a Star Wars: The Force Awakens spoiler special for those of you who have been asking. It will involve four Empire idiots sitting around the table talking about the film. Whether we have anyone from the film to discuss it is up in the air at the moment. We're hoping that we will, but I can't reveal who it is just yet. Indeed. But but keep your eyes peeled. That'll be up 21st, Monday the 21st of December. All being well. Okay, all right. Uh, if you want to have your questions read out on the Empire Podcast, then do send them to us. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. You can email us podcast at empireonline.com and you can Facebook us as well, which is a lovely thing to do if you have the Facebook. Next week is our last podcast of the year. <gasps> last regular podcast of the year. There will be sure. a review of the year special to come after that and the Star Wars special as well. So because it's coming up to Christmas, why don't you send us Christmas related questions? Hurrah! Do that. Do that, and we'll get our teeth into those next week. Right, time for a guest. Let's have it. Let's have it. Time now for our first guest. He is one of our favourite people, one of our favourite actors, writers and directors. He is a force of nature, amazing in films like Tyrannosaur and War Horse, and a bit of a double whammy this month. Uh, he's in Sunset Song, Terence Davies' Sunset Song, and this week he's in Hector as well. He is the man who has inspired, as you've already heard, an Empire staple at karaoke, and Phil DeSemlin got the opportunity to tell him all about that. Uh, and he lived to tell the tale. It is, of course, the great Peter Mullen. Please enjoy the interview. P.S. Very sweary? Quite sweary, Very, yes. very sweary. Yes, he was too. Oh. Hey! Mm. Parental guidance. <laughs> enjoy. We're very pleased to be joined on the Empire Podcast this week by the one and only Peter Mullen. Peter, welcome. How you doing, brother? Really good. Thank you very much. We're here to talk predominantly about Hector, but we'll, we'll, we may sort of head off in other directions at some point. But let's start with Hector, in which of you play the, the title role. And Hector is a homeless man who's kind of wrestling with an estranged family and a personal tragedy in his life. Now, I understand from talking to the director that you've been talking about this project for a couple of years now. Can you just explain what the genesis was of that? Originally, uh, Jake sent the script and I read it, really liked it. We met up and it was all, all systems go, really. And then there was some other projects came up and I had to make choices and all sorts of things. And I said, oh, look, something's going to have to give because it looked like I wasn't going to be able to do any of them. So Hector was one of the ones that went to the wall. And then they came back and said, look, is there any way you could do it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so we re-looked at the schedule and I said, okay, then we, we can fit it in. And then things went wrong with the producers. So long story short, exactly a year later from when we were supposed to be filming it, we filmed it. Right. So it was a long time in the 
happening. Jake Gavin is a first-time writer-director. You obviously once a first-time writer-director as well. Does that kind of encourage you to take a chance? Is there a sense of taking a chance on someone that hasn't got a sort of IMDb page ready to go, as it were? Um, no, you get some actor dicks that talk that way. They talk about, uh, or I talk about chance because you'd never take this. I've never understood that mentality. I seriously, if a script's good and you like it and you like the director, I don't know if there is a big risk. I mean, if they're paying you the, you know, reasonable money, I don't know what the big risk is. I don't get it because I've worked with, I guess, guys who would be more experienced. And very few, but all the directors I've watched with have been fabulous. But there's been one or two that have turned out to be complete wankers. I'll not name them. Go on. Nah. But they've done, you know, they've, they've turned out to be complete, really fucking pricks. And they've got far, not necessarily particularly well known, but they've directed four or five films. So I don't think you're taking a risk just because it's somebody's first time. I think they're taking the risk. They're taking the risk by casting you. They're taking the risk by having, you know, producers on their back because it's their first movie, you know. Yeah. So, no, all the risk taking of things by the first-time director, not not the actor. Oh, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. I mean, I'm curious because as someone that directs as well and, and writes as well mm. as acts, and you've worked with some incredible directors in your career. Obviously, mm. Ken Loach springs to mind. Steven Spielberg. Yeah, yeah, Stevie, yeah. I, I yeah, believe you. Stevie, Stevie. And Danny Boyle. And, and Danny Pitts Boyle. And, and yeah, yeah, and you've worked with so many fabulous directors. Sure. I imagine somewhere along the line, you know, it's easy for you to say, I was impressed by this and I maybe assumed, uh, adopted some of those ideas mm. into my mm. filmmaking. But are there any things that you've seen that you've been like, those are obvious mistakes that you want to avoid as a director? Well, I would never say they were mistakes, but what happens is, is every director, every good director, they've got their own way of doing things and they bring their own personality to it. So there'll be some things that you can look at as an actor and go, God, that's an amazing way of working, but would it suit your personality to work that way? Long before I was ever directing, I was I worked in community theatre and I used to take a whole range of disparate groups from folk who were unemployed to folk who had uh, physical and, and mental disabilities, to, uh, kids in borstals, prisoners in, in, in adult jails. And what you learn, what a guy in community theatre told me one time was every class will have its own personality and the personality will primarily come from you. So whatever you bring to it will determine what the class is like. And that's very true in film. What I've found it very true in film is when I watch anybody who is from opposite ends of the spectrum, if you like, Ken Loach at one end, Mel Gibson at the other, it was still very much, and Steven Spielberg, it, it's still their personality that's coming through. They determine how the feel of a film, how the day is going to go, whether they, how they work with their DP, how they work with their crew, how they work with their actors. It's their personality. Speaking of Mel Gibson, mm. Braveheart <sighs> is the name of the dog. Yeah. In this movie, yeah. Hector. Well, that's straight. So yes, I yeah, that. yeah. yeah. I, I thought maybe that was your idea. I no, thought maybe the dog. I would never suggest that, <laughs> that, that bad. <laughs> that was Jake's doing. Was it? I, well, I, I would never suggest a gag as bad as that. Well, alongside Braveheart, who's one of the sort of one of the group of Hector's mates, aye, aye, aye. Um, Hector is given these high vis jackets, mm. which he is kind of an ever present costume choice in the movie. Yeah, and Jake mentioned that. One time after you wrapped, you popped to an off-license wearing the, the high-vis jacket. Oh, I would imagine I popped to an off-license every time. <laughs> the minute you say wrapped, I'll go to an off-license. I haven't finished the anecdote. He mentioned that, he mentioned that uh, someone recognised you. Do you remember this? 
somebody recognized you and tried to give you a fiver and thought well, maybe you'd fallen on hard times <laughs> no I don't remember that but it would make sense <laughs> he did say that you, you know you, you're something of a local hero in Glasgow um, and that you didn't have to buy many drinks in the pub no I know he's got this idea no it happened I think once him and I had a beer and some guy said no let me get this but quite rightly Jake assumed that oh god this must happen to you all the time I wish to fuck it happened to me all the time no it doesn't it doesn't I pay for my own drinks <laughs> <laughs> fair enough this is it got a Christmas flavour to it as well as Hector winds his way south doesn't he from Scotland to Liverpool and then yeah. down to London yeah. where he meets up with some old friends in a shelter over the Christmas period did you have any kind of conversations or experiences of what that thing is like that particular environment because it's one time of the year when, when homeless people kind of mm. find a kind of a surrogate family no no I've never my sister worked a lot in, in homeless charities when she was younger so I got, I got to know a bit about it through that and obviously I'd been homeless myself a couple of times when I was younger but the the, that, that shelter, that charity that Sarah runs in the, in the film, the wonderful Sarah. No, I'd never, I'd never spent a, a night in there or an evening. But I know Jake. That's where he got all his ideas for the film from. He'd done that, and it seems there is a sort of, from what I could gather, there was a sort of, you, there is that fairly obvious sense that you know you're going, to, you're going to rally round when this is your one, three, four days of comfort and you're all going to go your own ways it's not like everybody's going to you know we're not going to set up home together you know but I'd imagine that in that circumstance is that there's a, a certain uh, peace on earth kind of feeling about it I guess I mean I'm guessing this and that's certainly what's in the film you know but then maybe it's a pile of bollocks maybe Jake's just made it all up <laughs> We'll find out. Uh, do you have a favourite Christmas movie? Are you someone that sits down on Christmas Day and, and watches oh, yeah. Miracle oh, on 34th oh, Street? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was always, for me as a kid, it was always Wonderful Life, but which I know is the, the, the standard one, but it still takes some beating. I mean, my kids my kids are, are saying now Elf is their favourite one, which is fair enough, that's their generation. Miracle on 34th, I saw that when I was a kid, but I don't think anything's really quite beaten Wonderful Life, I have to say, for me, you know. That's a very, very solid choice indeed. Oh. Now, in cinemas this week, as of Friday, as of today, in fact, it's a Peter Mullen double bill. You've got two choices. I and I wanted to ask you, you've got Sunset Song by the great Terence Davis Aye. and Hector Aye. by the great one day Jake Gavin. Um, and uh, I wonder what order people should watch them in. Oh, gold. All right. No, well... If you want the Peter Mullen double bill... Well, I, gonna be well first up, I want to get back to Glasgow in time so that there's two posters in the cinema with my face on them, because that's cool. That doesn't happen to an old guy like me. I don't get that chance very often. <laughs> so I really get on the, in the poster of a film. So I really want that, and I want to get to Glasgow, and I just really hope that the cine world have them side by side, because Glasgow's got an enormous cinema. I think it's the biggest in Europe, and that's my first hope. Call me selfish and shallow. I want those two posters. What would I recommend you see first? I would go Hector first, then Sunset Song, only because Hector's a lighter movie. It's a, a brighter movie. And I would watch that first and then go for the heavy duty Sunset Song. And then again, you might want to go the other way, which is a heavy duty Sunset Song to be lightened by the Hector. A Peter Mullen palate cleanser, perhaps. I don't know about the Peter Mullen shit, but in terms of, <laughs> in terms, in ter in terms of the movies, yeah. I would go, personally, I'd go Hector first and Sunset Song. 
both being very well reviewed and I guess uh-huh. showcases of I mean you know on my first encountered you in Shallow Grave right. way back when which uh-huh. is just a, still a devastating brilliant movie and you're scary as all hell in that film I've, um, I've, I've, I don't remember Shallow Grave that well I, I saw it once I'm asking yeah, excellent I never knew I was scary in that one is he not kind of cool dude that doesn't he's more he's more sinister isn't he more sad, sadist sinister you, you torture people quite a lot ah, that's just part and parcel you know what I mean it's just, that's well, movies I, I do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's only you and that I'm doing it to it's McGregor you can take it true 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 alright well okay one of your benevolent characters in Shallow Grave <laughs> should we say <laughs> but you do have a you know an on screen presence a ferocity in, in films like Tyrannosaur in particular recently which oh, is asshole, phenomenal yeah, yeah. Um, and you're an actor who's also not afraid to say my character is an asshole. a lot of oh, actors yeah. will say oh he yes but uh, but uh, also you know Hitler but yeah. you know no no I don't, I don't you don't like do that it. I don't like it I, I, I never see any reason for it if it doesn't mean you say you're making somebody a, a non-human being but you're perfectly entitled as yourself to look at whoever you're being asked to play and say he is X, Y, and Z. He's a sadist, he's shallow, he's self-pitying, he's whatever it may be. doesn't mean to say that when you play him, you don't give him the necessary elements of your own humanity, but I'll be fucked if I play anybody for sympathy because you can play anyone and make them sympathetic, including Hitler, Stalin, and Mao Zedong. You know, you just put the strings on it and put it in the right context and you can play them for sympathy. So it's an extremely dangerous thing to be doing. What you've got to try and do is be, you know, be honest about it. As in, you're not denigrating the art of acting, quite the opposite. It's like you're having to portray someone, whether you like them or not, to an audience and at least ask for understanding rather than ask for sympathy I hate that aspect. I hate watching a performance that's you know like the minute they're begging for your sympathy they're really begging for the fucking Oscar that's the truth it's like please you gotta love me you know, give me that fucking Oscar <laughs> if not an Oscar give me a golden globe for fuck's sake you know when you get that kind of shit I just switch off but if someone's honest enough to stand up and say look you may find this particular character absolutely you know abhorrent but I will give you an honest portrayal of them that I really enjoy a special place in my heart for, for one of your rogues is Sid in Children of Men <laughs> who's a particularly oily piece of oh, work he's excellent he's, he looked like a lot of fun to play the Fuji face that, oh, the I don't Fuji know if you created the Fuji face I would face. have done more of that if, <laughs> if Alfonso had allowed me to I remember I did, I did do more but I didn't realise he was going to do the whole fucking thing in one take so I was doing loads of Fuji face stuff <laughs> and Alfonso said could you make it a bit tighter and I was so disappointed. I thought, oh shit, he hates my Fuji face stuff. But he didn't tell me. It was all in one take. So he had nothing to cut away to. I thought he was going to cut in and do the verses and all that. So the minute, well, the minute he said, that's it. Now let's move on to the next scene. That's when I realised why he needed a, a much tighter version. But the best laugh in that one was, I don't drive, I don't have a licence. So the first time he's driving Clive and Alfonso and the rest of the gang, he's driving them in his big truck and I have to play someone who's such a fascist lunatic. He doesn't care if he hits anything because he's going to win that battle. And he doesn't care if he hits anyone. So he spends most of his time looking over his shoulder. So we shot that for real, it's not an A-frame. We shot it on a real car 
car. Alfonso was the only one in the car who knew that I didn't drive. Everybody else <laughs> thought I was a driver in the real world. So in the pretend world, I am an incredibly confident driver because I'm, <laughs> I'm playing a pretendy character. But Alfonso knew that I don't have the skills, which is not the case. I do have the skills. I just don't have a driver's license. And, uh, <laughs> and I was driving like a maniac, looking over my shoulder, principally at Clive. And all I could see, all I could see was just by Clive's eye line was Alfonso just getting whiter and whiter. He was just <laughs> petrified. And then a couple of times when I turned around, as a director, he pointed, like, look at the fucking road. He was pointing, look at the road. And, I, and I'm in character, so I'm giving it, I don't give a flying fuck. You know, so I'm just driving. So that, was, that, that made Sid very memorable for me. Does Clive Owen now know that you don't drive? He found, oh, poor darling, he found out I started laughing about it, I think, after take. When Alfonso said that's it, that's when I revealed that I, I didn't drive. And they were not that amused. What did your kids say when you told them you were going to be in Harry Potter as a Death Eater? I did it for my kids. So they said, oh, wonderful. Um, when do we go? And will we meet Daniel? <laughs> and, and, and my daughter, who's 14 now, still has a problem with Alan Rickman because Big Alan decided to stay in character. So she was 10-year-old and petrified. Hello. He was like, my name's Snape. That's a terrible impersonation, Alan. Um, she's, still, she's still terrified of him. When are you going to be in Game of Thrones? They asked me to do it, uh, or they asked me to go down and meet them for it, and I said no. Oh, really? Why? Yeah, I'm not a big fan. Don't like it. You've done some great armour work. In I've done a fair bit of armour yeah. work, yeah. Not a fan of Game of Thrones, no. No. Nah, doesn't, didn't do it for me at all. Okay. Is it true you auditioned for The Hobbit? I did. I did. I auditioned for... God, I can't remember the character's name, but I did. I, I put down a tape, and I remember thinking, oh, I'm in with a shout here, and it never happened. Sunshine on Leith, you sing... I know. The Proclaimers. How do you define singing? How was that? Did you enjoy that? I had a ball. I loved it. I, I mean, I wouldn't listen to it, but I had, an absolute, <laughs> I had a ball doing it. Absolute ball doing it. I had a great time. Did anyone buy you a drink in an Edinburgh pub during the filming of that? Aye. Aye, they did, actually. There you go, see. And a few, a few folk have actually, you know, said reasonably uninsulting things about the voice. <laughs> There's a bit of a Tom Waits quality to thing, it. There's a thing yeah. going on. There's, there's a certainly thing is. going on. I have a final thing to, to tell you, and I hope you won't be mad about this. It's an Empire tribute that we do, that we've done, look, actually predates Sunshine and Leith, which is that when we do karaoke en masse, we sing I Would Walk 500 Miles. Oh, wow. And in the na-na-na bits, we replace the na-na-na with your name. Oh, I heard about this. Have yeah, you heard yeah. about this? How did I you hear about this? I don't this? know. Somebody told me about this. Wow. I don't know. It works yeah. perfectly. How does it work? What do you say then? So I would walk 500 miles. I would walk no, 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 no. Yeah, Peter Mullen. Peter Mullen. <laughs> and then to, we just kind of go from there. I don't know. To be honest. I don't. It come from? It's a celebration of you more than anything. Uh, of, course, um, of course. And I guess I want to walk away with your blessing for you our Christmas it. karaoke. You have it indeed, Peter Mullen. There you go. It's all about you, Peter. <laughs> Hector is out this week. Sunset Song is in cinemas as well. Thank you so much for talking to us. Pleasure, pleasure. <laughs> I'm so gutted that I couldn't be there to see you explain <laughs> that we use his name. In a karaoke song. Yes. yes. In vain, yeah. We don't use it in vain. It's a tribute. <laughs> it is a tribute. It's an absolute tribute. He seemed okay with it, though. I just loved it when he went, someone told me about this. And I was like, who? <laughs> 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 who told you about this? I have people. He is an awesome, awesome dude. We'll be talking about Hector later in the uh, in the show. But first, let's have some movie news. 
Yeah. What's, what's the haps? There have been a lot of trailers this week. Now, I don't want to discuss these at length because obviously, you know, trailers, visual, us, audio, doesn't massively work. Mm-hmm. But we should mention, you should go and have a look on Empire. We've got trailers for Grimsby, the new Sasha Baron Cohen film with mm-hmm. Mark Strong. I've got high hopes for that one. Uh, I really do. And the first, by the way, just trying to yeah, drop, but the first interview with Louis Leterrier and Mark Strong about that film is in the new issue of Empire. Well, there you go. At the moment. Take that um, up. And Louis Leterrier makes very bold claims about that film in the new issue of Empire. He says there are things in Grimsby that have never been committed to film before. <laughs> I, I actually, given the people involved, slightly dread to think what those things might be. <laughs> but okay. He, he does say there are lots of fluids, oh. shall we say. Okay. But it's a tight 90 minutes and it's got your man, Mark Strong. My man, Mark you Strong. Like, you like him? Yes. He's in it as the world's greatest secret agent, Sebastian Graves. I'm hopeful about this. Very excited. I think it's going to be one. insane. We also had the teaser trailer for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: colon, Out of the Shadows. So let's. I'm move also on. hopeful for this. Are you? That will also feature things that have never been committed to film before, <laughs> <laughs> and should never be committed to film. That um, is also true. It's got. It's got. Let's uh, talk it, positives. It has. Okay? It has the arrow in it. It has. It has the arrow in it. You were Stephen disappointed. ML. He didn't take a shirt off. I mean, I wasn't disappointed. I just thought there, sh- there would be some kind of equality, given that Megan Fox, Megan Fox was sort of tying her shirt up in a Britney Spears manner. I didn't notice that bit. You didn't? No. Oh. You um, seemed to have it on repeat at did one I? point. Yeah, it was <laughs> That's kind of weird. My, my phone's glitching uh, a lot recently. Okay. And, you know, Will Arnett's in it. That's you know. true. Yep. Yeah. Unless, of course, it was like a Bowfinger situation. He doesn't know they were filming him. <laughs> but yeah, there's something to look forward to if you like teenagers and mutants and ninjas and turtles. I mean, I like at least three of those things. Anyway, also in mm-hmm. cinemas, there's the teaser for the BFG. It doesn't give much away, but it was one of my favourite books as a kid, and it's Steven Spielberg and Mark bloody, Rylance. Bloody friendly Jerry. I think they go for big friendly giant, but I guess that's an alternative, and maybe he is called okay. Jerry. The second trailer in recent weeks to have mm-hmm. a bit where a giant reaches a hand through a bedroom window to grab the film's protagonist after uh, Juan Antonio Bayona's A Monster Calls. Have that you seen the trailer true. for that? Yeah. Have you seen the trailer for that yet? No. I'm really excited about that film. Yeah. It's, gonna, it's out in the latter part of the of the year. It's based on the astonishing novel by Patrick Ness, which absolutely broke me in two. Hell of a um, uh, have, you, have you read the book? Uh, he's really an incredible good. writer. I love uh, him. Yeah, it's really good. And uh, if you haven't seen the trailer for A Monster Called, weirdly it doesn't seem to have got a lot of publicity, but it is out there. Liam Neeson as a giant tree creature. I'm on board. And finally, I think in the trailer roundup, Alexander Skarsgård is the legend of Eddie Marsan. Oh, sorry, Tarzan. Oh, Tarzan. Tarzan. Oh, that makes much more sense. It does make a bit more sense. He stars opposite Margot Robbie as Jane and Christoph Waltz as bad guy. I believe that's Christoph Waltz is a bad guy. I know. It's never been done. They're taking a risk, but I think they might just get away with it. He is actually, <laughs> technically, he's Captain Leon Rom and he's Belgian. Or is he? That's a good question. Mm. No, he is. Okay. And Sam um, Jackson's in it too? Samuel L. Jackson's in it. Jimon Hunso's in it. Simon Russell Beale, John Hurt. So, exciting cast. Quite a lot of CG apes, as mm-hmm. far as we've seen so far. But it looks to be action-packed. And I didn't mention abs once. Well done, Helen. You, this is your first step to recovery. <laughs> You're doing well. The six-step programme. <laughs> <laughs> six-pack six pack programme. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> 
this is <sighs> yeah so I'm really disappointed it's actually not about Eddie Marsan but uh, but there you go well you know we, we live for the legend of Marsan and the other trailer is out this week yep. which is actually not out at the time of recording it but will be out hopefully by the time you're listening to it is X-Men Apocalypse the Ooh. first the first trailer for X-Men Apocalypse it hits tomorrow which is Friday which is Friday which is today sorry and I spoke to Brian Singer the director of X-Men Apocalypse for one of our patented exhaustive trailer breakdowns spoke to him for quite a while about it and got a lot of really interesting stuff so uh, check out the website for that and I don't think I'm officially allowed to comment on the trailer just yet because I signed something scary but that's happening so do I check out the website <laughs> and the trailer's good <gasps> sue me commented. sue me please don't sue me right <laughs> I love it when you've got something important you want to share but you're embargoed it's like <laughs> it's like someone's pumping you full of air and you're just getting <laughs> oh and I'm just gonna pop you now don't pop me no sorry Chris I won't okay. I've got just something that I wanted to mention a film called Felt it's about Deep Throat. Sounds like clear, a porno. It's, it's not. It's the one about porno. Watergate rather Watergate than... Watergate Deep Throat. Watergate Deep Throat, not porn Deep Throat. Exactly right. Okay. It's about a man called Mark Felt. We know the story of Watergate from All the President's Men. Hal Holbrook played Mark Felt in All the President's Men. In this film, it's Liam Neeson stepping into those shoes. And it's a story Ooh. of the guy who was within the FBI who had the smoking gun evidence that the Nixon administration had broken into the Watergate Hotel, eventually brought the whole shooting match down the White House under Nixon, sort of imploded from there. His identity was a secret for a very, very long time. And I think this film has just added Micah Monroe to its numbers. We don't know who she's playing, but we love her from The Guest. Mm-hmm. And It Follows, which is terrific. Jason Bateman plays Charlie Bates, an FBI agent who's an underling of Mark Felt, and he has to sort of grapple with whether or not to reveal that his boss is doing something sort of illegal but not necessarily immoral. So that's kind of where this is set. And uh, it's directed by Peter Landersman, who made that film Parkland. He did. The JFK assassination a couple of years back. And the forthcoming concussion with Will Smith. So he's very much a sort of go-to guy for, for true life picks. I thought Parkland was really middle of the road yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm hearing good things about concussion. Good. Well, this seems interesting to me. I just think it's an interesting subject matter and Mm. I can see it as being a good role for Liam Neeson. You know, he's a taciturn man in a difficult situation. He's done that before. Mm. Yeah. All the President's Men is obviously the definitive story of this from the journalist's point of view, but I guess this is more from within the FBI, which we haven't seen before. Yeah. It's such a big story. And there seems to be a first for telling sort of stories about journalism. Obviously, you've got Spotlight coming out. There's and, probably... And truth. Thank you so much. There's, I was going to say there's probably at least one more, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we'll keep you an eye on this one. But Mike Monroe, I think, is an actress of real talent. So it's good to see her joining something different. Speaking of actresses of real talent, there were reports this week that Rebecca Ferguson will return for Mission Impossible 6, which is excellent, excellent news as far as I'm concerned. It's very good news. And I'm thankful that it happened the day after our Chris McQuarrie spoiler special podcast went up. I know, I'm, I'm glad because if it had been released before that spoiler special came out, it would have been, true. it would have seemed out of date. That's true. So, so thank you. I, I don't think it was actually deliberately delayed, but thank you for not revealing that before the special came out. And by the way, I know I, I sound like a, a snake oil salesman, keep pointing people towards different podcasts, but if you haven't heard the Chris McQuarrie Mission Impossible Rogue Nation spoiler special, it's two and a half hours long, but trust me, it's, it's worth it if you have the time. And if you don't have the time, make the time. And if you don't want to make the time, then that's entirely up to you, but it's very, very good. Indeed. I just want to mention two more quick things very, very fast. First of all, there's going to be a new TV series based on Joe Hill's Nosferatu, Mm -hmm. which is a very, very scary book. And therefore, I am quite excited about that. It's also kind of an interesting one because uh, the baddie lives in essentially Christmas land, but he's really bad. So that will be 
an interesting one to see as it approaches screens and keeping it in the King family. Idris Elba is apparently in demand uh, to play the gunslinger in the Dark Tower series. What? Yep. Really? Yep. This is news. This is news. Hang on, this is this is news happening to this me is right what news now. Feels like. <laughs> Chris, you've been news. Helen, tell me more. Well, the last we heard was Matthew McConaughey had been offered his pick of the roles in the Dark Tower series. It's an enormous thing to try to adapt, frankly. And they're talking about a franchise that will appear on big and small screens. So you get the scale, but also the kind of the development and the time you need to tell this story. So we've got a director in Nikolai Arcel. We've got producers Ron Howard, Brian Glazer, Akiva Goldsman. They are now apparently trying to get Idris Elba to play Roland Deschaines. So, how do you feel, Chris? I know you're a very big fan of the series. That is very interesting. I've never been able to picture Roland in my head. I just know when the casting doesn't feel right. I didn't think it felt right when when Javier Bardem was linked with this role. Really? It didn't feel right to me. Huh. This feels more right. All right. I'm intrigued. I still think this is such a difficult series of books to adapt. I'm worried about the outcome. But, yeah, Idris Elba, a fantastic actor. And why not? Why not? Yeah, something about Javier Bardem it just didn't click for me at all with that character. This is better. So the idea is still a TV series, couple of, at least two or three films. I mean, some of the stuff that happens in the Dark Tower, how they're going to do it because it's so metatextual. Yeah. So they're going to take all that stuff out. There's a Salem's Lot character who shows up at one point. So how do you do that? Stephen King himself shows up as a character at one point. How do you do that? You know, there's tons of stuff. I mean, it's it's yeah. It could even link up to Nosferatu, actually, because there are links between the Stephen Kingiverse, mm. if you will, and, and that book, which I won't go into too much. But yeah, it's a to call it sprawling would be an understatement. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, and so, it's, it's unlike anything, any fantasy thing I think Hollywood has ever attempted, because it's not, you think of fantasy, you think of Lord of the Rings, you think of Warcraft, you think of orcs and Middle Ages, and, and this is not that at all. I mean, there's an element of that at some point, mm. but there's also gunslingers and the Wild West and the future and uh, science fiction and evil trains and going from dimension to dimension. And it's an extraordinary, extraordinary work over seven books at first and now more stuff as well. I just don't know how they're going to do it. Casting it as Elba is a good start. All right. So that's it, I think, then, for news. Yeah, tons of stuff as well. Ant-Man's got two writers, hasn't it? It's Mm. got... It does. It has, well... Ant-Man and the Wasp. Ant-Man and the Wasp, yeah. The the sequel has its writing team. So it's going to be led by, we believe, Andrew Barrer and Gabrielle Ferrari. Apologies Mm -hmm. if I've in any way mispronounce those they did uncredited work on the first film during shooting they were the onset team they were the onset team so they're going to work with Paul Rudd and Adam McKay on the story and then as we understand it Adam McKay goes back to you know the big short two or whatever he's got coming up next um, which is basically anything he wants I think after that film and Barrer, Ferrari and Rudd will then work on the full script so that's a you know pretty good lineup. Yeah, you could line up and, you know, it'll be interesting to see what those guys do because obviously the last film was developed in such a tumult that Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish's script was still knocking around and yep. was still formed a big part of the script that came to be. They were rewriting it on set. Rodden McKay locked himself away in a hotel room and you know, all, all these different influences and then things changed during production. So hopefully with a bit more of a run-up, they might be able to achieve something great with this. So... Fingers crossed. Phil, anything else? No, I think that's pretty much pretty much the size of the news pod. That is the size of the news We've pod. We've given a thorough stirring to. <laughs> Fantastic. Let's have our second guests, shall we? Yeah. yeah. Let's do it. Tina Fey, again. It's a wonderful thing about doing this podcast. You just get to talk to your 
favourite people. It's amazing. Although, I'm not the one to get to talk to her in this case. But Tina Fey is phenomenal. Saturday Night Live, 30 Rock, Liz Lemon. Helen, upon whom I think you're based. Is this, is this, this is right? true. I yeah. am actually based on Liz Lemon. Yep. I did not exist before 30 it's, Rock. It's so weird. <laughs> so weird. And on the, on the big screen as well, the likes of Date Night, Baby Mama with her good friend, Amy Poehler. And now the two of them are back in Sisters, which is out this Saturday. It's a raucous comedy in which they play, finally, Sisters. It feels so right. Tina Fey was in London this week and she brought with her her longtime friend and Sisters screenwriter, Paula Pell. The newest member of our team, John Nugent, went along to speak to them. Do enjoy. Please welcome to the Empire podcast, the star and writer, respectively, of sisters, Tina Fey and Paula Pell. How are you? Hello. Good, how are you? Wonderful. Great. Um, first of all, uh, Tina, I believe congratulations are in order. I heard you propose to Amy Poehler at the sisters' I premiere. I did. We, we are already common law married, <laughs> but I just wanted to... They have squatter's rights to each other. Make an honest woman of her. <laughs> she said no. But I did propose. <laughs> well, we're obviously here to talk about Sisters. It's a movie about a party. It's a party movie, a sort of high school reunion. Yes. Uh, you're both Saturday Night Live alumni. Was it a sort of SNL reunion for you as well on set? It really was, because Paula and Amy and I have worked together for so long there, and Maya Rudolph and Rachel Dratch and Kate McKinnon and Bobby Moynihan. And is there anybody else that's... Oh, well, even like John Lutz, who's a writer there, yeah, is in Lutz. the film. It was, a, it was a reunion of old friends from... SNL and other places. And this year we had our 40th anniversary of the mm. show. So we had had a big reunion at SNL this year with all of our old friends yeah. after shooting this for a whole summer in Long Island. So these last two years have been really full of reunions. Yeah. Kind of getting sick of each other now. <laughs> that, that looked like a crazy day, the, the 40th anniversary. I mean, yeah. were there any was, good uh, um, any anecdotes? It was really fun. It was um, so fun. I was offered marijuana by a very famous rap singer, <laughs> but I was already high, so I didn't have any. Um, and I was stone cold sober. <laughs> Stoned, comma, cold, cold sober. comma. <laughs> sober, question mark? Sober? I was Answer, sober. no. <laughs> Barely. Um. I'm sorry. Paul is just having a, a just, samovar of soup. I just had a little bit of my lentil soup. <laughs> Funny because they can't very see. You're, smelly. Not, you're not really having I'm, I'm soup. I'm eating crab bisque in here. <laughs> We're in a closet and I'm Good. eating crab bisque. <laughs> the side of Roquefort cheese. <laughs> oh, Lord. Obviously, this is a party movie. Did, did it feel like a party on set? Was alcohol allowed on set? No, we weren't really drinking, except I was shooting a scene. There's a scene in the movie where my character, who's not been drinking gives up and decides caves in and decides to have a drink and um in one take I went over to the bar area on the set and there were 50 bottles replaced with water and we were rolling in the little take and I grabbed one and I was supposed to open one and down it and I grabbed one and opened it and when I turned it I heard click 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 and I was like oh no <laughs> I inadvertently grabbed a real one but we're rolling and so I took a very big shot of what turned out to be cinnamon tequila. Ugh, wow. Um, so I didn't know that existed. And it was this, I didn't it either. It shouldn't exist. And I kind of liked it, but it was the cinnamon part that kind of threw me in the moment because mm. I was no, okay, okay, I'm actually going to drink a real tequila here, but it's but By the third one, it didn't bother you though. By the third, by the third one, you <laughs> downed. <laughs> Unexpected cinnamon <laughs> is also my stripper name. <laughs> <laughs> a very, very 
ginger puke. Very gingery, <laughs> and it's unexpected because it's it's brighter than, than cinnamon. Yeah. It's fluorescent. Paula, what's your stripper name? My stripper name is Quantity. <laughs> but it's, it's spelled like Q U A N Q U A N T I T T Y Quantity. That's really good. Yeah, Quantity. Wow. We're, we're learning a lot. This is yeah. great. What I thought was really interesting about this movie is it, it sort of shows the side of parties that are quite stressful. I mean, it's <laughs> yes, it can be quite a stressful thing to host a party. Have either of you had a party that's gone disastrously wrong in your past? Hey, I never threw any parties like that in my parents' house. I've been to a few. I went to a, I remember a Chicago uh, improv community party once where somebody somebody had a, brought a friend. Like I think of like who's that guy? And I was like, oh, that's uh. That's Raj's friend, Cheese. And then, it, but then the word started to spread the party, like, guys, Cheese has a gun. <laughs> we got to get out of here. Cheese has cheese a gun. Cheese has a gun is an Aerosmith song, isn't it? <laughs> cheese has a gun. Um, Cheddar has a gun. Um, I, I had mostly slumber parties when I was growing up, and sometimes we got in trouble for some of the boys, like, showing up at the slumber parties. But when I was at Saturday Night Live, we used to have a writer's party up in the writer's room every year on the Thursday before our finale. And we would always, they would put, oh, they would put yeah. beer signs up. They would, you know, really decorate the hell out of it. And it was so fun. And we would have, you know, someone DJing. And, and we did that uh, one year, which was the last year we ever were allowed to do it. And it was one of those very high school feelings by the end of the night where there's a big writer's table which we had been playing slip and slide on which inspired in the movie the slip and slide pouring punch on there and slipping across the entire thing towards a very rickety window in 30 rock that you know you could have just bust right through but we did that for hours and and then at the very end of it people started getting really rowdy and someone decided to start breaking that writer's table and that table got folded into 15,000 different pieces it was a very old shitty table but we I did not I was like kind of running from it because I was so afraid of the destructive part of a party I too good a girl for that I was going to get in trouble and these guys were getting rowdy and they started stepping on it and stomping it and laughing and folding it and it just became just a pile of rubble and uh, we got in huge trouble the next day I was the only one that showed up to clean up with our little cleaning lady and we just cleaned the you know tried to clean it up but it was just red punch everywhere and threw up in a sweatshirt and left it at Carson Daly's door yes someone (laughs) threw up yeah someone yeah someone I remember that party because I was working quietly in my office that's how my life goes good lord sober well, I was computer. cleaning I kept, I the next day. I would come by every like hour or so during the party because I would go to the printer or whatever and be like, what the hell is going on? It would just get worse <laughs> yeah. every time. Wow. That's, I mean, that sounds like a fun office, if, yeah. if slightly dangerous. Yeah, we used to have an awful lot of fun. It, it's very much like a dorm in, yeah. in, that, in, the, in those offices. And, uh, and much like a dorm, you're always afraid everyone's having more fun in their dorm room. You know, you're walking by, like, hearing laughter. Right, you and think you're the only one studying for finals and everyone is, is yeah. partying. He'd be, like, knocking and going, what's up, guys? <laughs> Trying to join in. There's a lot of desperation. But a lot of fun. And then cheese shows up and it gets yeah, a bit. Yeah, and cheese, cheese shows up and things, you know, somebody puts an eye out. <laughs> so what 
is an ideal party for you now? Because I'm sort of starting to reach an age where I like at the weekend to just sort of have a cup of tea in oh, early nights, nice. you know? Yeah, I go to a, a, a New Year's Eve party every year that partly as a joke, but partly because they're geniuses, ends at 11. Yeah. And it's the greatest part because you go and it's like fun and that then you go home so and you go to bed good. it's so good that's so good so I, my, I would like to do a party that was in like a windowless room so you thought it was four in the morning but then when you come out it's like 7 40 p.m so am i right in thinking this film is based on your on your teenage journals it was inspired by the difference in my sister and myself my sister's journal was always full of romance and Makeout sessions with her boyfriend she was madly in love with and mine was about a lot of science kits and my my house plants portraits of your beagle portraits of my beagle that I was drawing and I would say I'm very pleased with this one and I really enjoy drawing it just really helps me express my emotions and you know all of it was really just frustration with not being touched but um uh (laughs) My sisters just always had that kind of thing you want in a in a teen diary, yeah. you know. I'm madly in love and all those things. So I I really tried to power through and be optimistic and and you know, excited about every sunrise. Uh, Tina, you this is your first film with Amy Poehler in what, 7 years. 7 years. Like that, yeah. Is it going to be another 7 years before yes, we see? Yes, we're going to make a film every 7 years. Every 7 it's years. It's part of a larger um, documentary on aging. <laughs> Um, yeah, we'll see. It's we'll by the see same director that did Boyhood. It's by, well, it's right. by it's Michael Apted. Is um, yeah, it's like Boyhood. It's called crone, cronism. Uh, uh, yeah, it's been a long time because we both were doing our TV shows uh, in between and we didn't really have the time. Uh, but this is, uh, hopefully we'll get to do it again. Hopefully it'll be sooner than seven years. It's amazing it's, now all the all the ladies that were on at the shoot in the movie and they've all had these beautiful children and they're they're all you know some of them are getting quite old now these children and they'd all be there together and I would just look at all of them and remember holding those little babies when they were born and it it just get a really good picture with all was it like eight or nine of them yeah between me and Amy and Maya and Rachel George. all the little SNL babies all fathered by Lauren Michaels <laughs> <laughs> But no, literally, only literally. <laughs> that's that's in the medically, just, just genetically and medically. <laughs> Not emotional, no emotional connection whatsoever, but medically, spermatically. <laughs> Tina, you, you and Amy are obviously very close. Um, there's a scene in this film where you share a bath together. Yep. Is there anything that you wouldn't do together? Is there a line that you wouldn't cross? Um... We've never had a hardcore sex scene with each other, like a yeah. like full blue is the warmest color, kind of like <laughs> I like I bite your rubber labia, <laughs> your prosthetic labia. Real, that wasn't a real sex scene. No, I didn't see it, but um, I did. It wasn't real, and I I don't know that we would do that. But I, other than that, I don't know. Like well, I think like I bet she would like if there was a scene in the movie where I was supposed to perform surgery on her, and I was like, let me really do it. She'd be like. I'll do it like okay one time in the master you can do surgery on we'll me. nail it in the one take, First take but you can gut me in one take so this film in seven years we're going to see hardcore sex and hardcore surgery. sex yeah. while performing surgery, on each other. surgery. it's about two high-powered surgeons that <laughs> who are secretly on, married on, on an island both get sick and have to 
perform surgery on each other. <laughs> on their anniversary, so they also have to have sex. <laughs> <laughs> they have to. Have they sex. have to. This, this film is out this weekend in this country. In the US, it's out on the same day as a film called Star Wars. Yes. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this Going film. Going down, Star Wars. <laughs> bye, Star Wars. Bye, bye Felicia Wars. <laughs> <laughs> so who do you think will win the box office war? I think the Rebel Alliance will win. That's Star Wars. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a metaphor for us. Sure. That's Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... The Rebel Alliance. <laughs> Liz Lemon is obviously a huge Star Wars fan. Yes. Would she be in the line already queuing up? Liz Lemon would know that she had to support women in comedy. She would buy a ticket for sisters and then sneak in to see Star Wars yeah. first, which I'm fine with if people want to do it that way too yeah. and then just come back and just go see back sisters and see again. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's why not both? It's a great double bill. Yeah. yeah. Hashtag really you can see them both. Pretend it's the same movie. It's just in two parts. Mm -hmm. Did you consider having more sort of tie fighter dog fights in your movie? <laughs> more than the four that, that are in there? No, yeah. that would be excessive. Two got cut. Two got cut, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I think that's all we got time for. All right, thanks. Tina Fey, so Paula Powell, thank you so fun. much. Thank you. Thank you. Again, incredible interview there with Tina Fey and Paula Powell that actually hasn't happened at the time of recording this. <laughs> but I'm led to believe it will be incredible. It will have been amazing. It will have been amazing. Okay, let's start the review section of the show with Grandma. Should we start with Grandma? Yes. Starring Lily Tomlin, last week's guest. Old ladies first. Um, <laughs> Lily Tomlin is amazing in this. She plays Elle, whose granddaughter turns up one day. Her name is Sage. She's played by the very good Julia Garner. And she turns up looking for money to have an abortion. She's only 15. She's pregnant. She has found a reasonably priced abortion, but she still needs the funds to cover it. And she is scared to go to her formidable mother, mm -hmm. played by Marcia Gay Harden. So the pair go on a sort of mini road trip to find the funds because Elle herself doesn't have any money and has accidentally cut up her credit cards to make into a wind chime. Yes, she's that kind of person. But as we meet her, she's also going through her own problems, which kind of, in many ways, dwarf sages. Elle has just broken up with her girlfriend, played by Judy Greer, in one of her better roles this year. She's been in a lot of thankless, thankless roles this year. And she's still, frankly, mourning her wife of, you know, 20 or 30 years who died a couple of years beforehand. And they basically, it's it's a sort of a little road trip movie. They go around just going to old friends, old acquaintances, old enemies in one case, trying to get the funds together that they need for this procedure. And that's basically it. There's not much else in the way of plot. It's a, it's a pretty simple kind of road trip kind of mission movie, I guess. What's good about it is just that the characters are so vivid. I mean, you feel like all of these people are real people and it's almost like it's not quite watching a documentary. It doesn't have that feel to it, but it does feel like everybody just carries on with their lives after mm -hmm. we leave them because they are fully realised human beings that we just happen to be seeing for 15 minutes at a time. I think part of that is the fact that it's one of the more sort of uh, diverse, interesting casts and casts of characters that we've had in a while, you know. Um, some people are lesbians, no big deal. Some people are uh, transgender, no big deal. It, it's just that's part of the kind of the tapestry of the lives that we see in this film. Yeah, it seems to be a lot of uh, a lot of hot-button topics over there. This, this wouldn't be Donald Trump's favourite film no. of 2015, but uh, it treats him with a sensitivity and, and, and doesn't really make an, a huge deal out of it. That's absolutely fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's no big deal really at all. It's just these are things that happen to people and they go on with their lives and they go on being 
you know, we're trying to be, you know, good people. I think it's, it's interesting, actually, because Elle has this great mix of idealism on one hand. You know, she's she's clearly a kind of old school hippie. She reads, you know, all this all, the, all this literature. She's into her feminist thinkers and all this kind of stuff. And then on the other hand, she's completely cynical and very bitter at the world. And it's, you know, it's one of those kind of mixes that, that makes her feel like a real person. Lily Tomlin is... Amazing, and she's on such mm. a role like right now. Grace and Frankie, who, who could not I've, be I've less not like Elle, yeah. such a good show. But but you know, it's a completely different character. But it's at the same time, it just has so much of her sharpness and her evident intelligence and her mm. gift for comedy timing is astonishing. So uh, she's behind the wheel most of the time, quite literally. Yeah. So she's L driver. <laughs> she is, I guess, L driver. Yes. Uh, but we should mention uh, this was written and directed by Paul White, who's who's I think on his best form in years here. Um, this is, this is about a boy levels of charm and humanity and and wit. I think it's really really good. Uh, props as well to Sam Elliott, who, despite being shorn of his magnificent moustache, which should be a crime <laughs> took, against humanity, it took five men three days, <laughs> and they, they went through twenty seven hacksaws <laughs> just to um, make it happen. And it shouldn't have happened. But anyway, but he is still extremely good. He's he's only in one scene, but he's uh, he's kind of nicknamed the Ogre, which gives you some idea of his role in proceedings. But you just know that his moustache grows back in like a, a minute. Yeah. Yeah, they had to keep keep shaving it between takes. I yeah. yeah, that's right. Sometimes during takes. <laughs> Sometimes during takes. <laughs> it's really take. upsetting. It. You can at one point hear the razor starting <laughs> up. Yeah. Hold still, Sam! <laughs> but no, honestly, uh, I can't recommend Grandma highly enough. I gave it four stars. I could have made it You could have recommended it more highly. <laughs> I could. You're right, you're right. <laughs> oh, uh, you know, Helen, I'm going to give you some props. That's a very good review you wrote there for the Empire magazine. Oh, thank you. Oh. Ah. A very good review. Really nice. Phil. Yes. Tell me about Hector. Okay. Um, well, Hector is a. It's Peter. It's a very much a Peter Mullen movie. He's the central character. Plays a a, a a Scotsman called Hector McAdam, uh, who is basically who's basically suffered a tragedy. It's an un sort of un an unspecified tragedy in his life, which has put him on the streets. So we meet him and a small sort of coterie of his mates going down the offy buying them lagers he's clearly got a kind heart and looks out for other people he's got a kind of a, a nurturing spirit so he's a very likable Peter Mullen performance at no point does he brutally beat anyone to death <laughs> and he gives this film a lot of its heart and soul it's the work of as we talked about in the interview Jake Gavin who's a first time director and a long established photographer so there's some beautiful uh, landscapes and great photography in this film as you watch Hector travelling south from Scotland, from Glasgow to Liverpool and then down to London where he wants to go to the sort of crisis style Christmas shelter um, so it's kind of a Christmas movie of sorts mm. it ends it ends at Christmas time but it's really a journey back into Hector's past so you find out what led him to where he is now and um, you know where he might go from there really um, he's got a bad limp and a medical issue um, which is kind of slightly glossed over in the film so you're not quite sure but it seems like he may not have long for this world um, as he tries to meet his long estranged sister um, who's played by Gina McKee and we've given it three stars it's mm -hmm. it's likeable it's a gentle film it's very sensitive it's a sensitive film about homelessness a subject which sort of appears quite sporadically in, in, in cinema you know Midnight Cowboy 
cover covers the sort of the, the the margins for society in quite an edgy way. Um, mm. Carla's song Ken Loach has been there before again, mm-hmm. fairly edgy, fairly hard hitting. This is not quite as punchy as that. It's a little bit more gentle, a bit more sort of angel share. Ken Loach would be a good reference point for this one. Um, but uh, Peter Mullen is such a good actor, and he brings a lot of soul, a lot of warmth to this guy, and you really care about the character and. It's a film full of sort of heart and compassion. We've given it three stars, but there's a lot to like in it. Very much a recommendation. It's not a sequel to Hector in the Search for Happiness. Hector in the Search for Christmas, (laughs) you could say. That does make it sound like a sequel. Yeah, it does. It's not. Okay, he's not searching for anything. He's just well, he is sort of searching. Anyway, never mind. It's not a sequel. (laughs) It's not a sequel to that. No, I don't know. Every every time with Hector played by a different person, Mm -hmm. amazing. A la Bond. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. It's better than Hector and the Search for Happiness. Okay. Three stars in uh, for Hector. And that brings us on then to the other film starring this week's guest, um, Sisters. Yes. So this is the uh, long-awaited, at least by me, a reunion of Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. Uh, and they play Sisters uh, with art there reflecting life, I like to think. Um, so Amy Poehler <laughs> is Mara, who's uh, Mora, who's the shy one. She's um, just a little bit especially around men, she's a little bit less than forthcoming, let's say. And Tina Fey is Kate, who could not be less not forthcoming in that sense and is, uh, is never has any money, but is intent on enjoying her life, I think it's fair to say. Um, so they discover that their parents are selling the family home where they grew up and they decide to have one last party before it goes. So this is obviously the kind of thing that teenagers are supposed to do, not middle-aged ladies. And they have a little bit of trouble, you know, persuading all of their old friends that they should maybe abandon their growing up responsibilities for a night and really let loose. So the first part of the film is a real slow burn. And to be honest, it's, it's, it's not as funny as one would like it to be. But when the party starts, things get very, very crazy, very, very fast. And it basically becomes like Animal House but with your parents kind of thing there is property damage like Dean Wormer throwing a massive throwing a massive rager yeah exactly rager Um, (laughs) I'm trying to sound like the kids you know Uh, yeah the sisters have a fight the house is falling down there's loads of property damage It, it upsets my neat and tidy heart um everybody gets quite filthy um quite a lot of drugs suddenly come into the picture everything goes a bit wrong yes we don't approve say no kids two drugs Um, but it at least gets very funny so that's the main thing so in the end despite the sort of slow opener we gave this three stars because it did make us laugh quite a bit Tina Fey and Amy Poehler are amazing if you could put them together they'd create the perfect woman Amy Fehler Tina Poehler no (laughs) anyway they're awesome is what I'm trying to say Uh, so yeah good Good. Good. Three stars. Recommendation. So that's it for the films we're going to discuss in depth this week. Also out this week is Rise of the Foot Soldier, which we gave two stars to, so avoid that one. And sadly, you should probably also avoid, unless of course you are a completist, By the Sea, which is the third film from Angelina Jolie as a director. She's now, of course, changed her name to Angelina Jolie Pitt. In this one, she stars alongside her husband, Bradley. I believe that's his name. Uh, and they play a married couple in the 19- who are going through a tumultuous time. Their marriage is really in trouble in 1970s France. Unfortunately, we thought this was the, um, if you will, the, 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 
pit. Mm. And we gave oh. it two stars. Uh, so check it out if you if you like pretty people yelling at each other. If if you don't, two stars. That's it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more formulated fun in the last regular podcast of the year. But we'll be joined by who? Will Ferrell Ooh. and Mark Wahlberg, star of Daddy's Home, and Tom Hooper, director of The Danish Girl and Brian Clough quote appropriator. So that's how the interviews happen. So we can't we can't shakuz him, but you know still. It's, it's good good interviews do check them out uh, do come back uh, don't forget of course the Chris McQuarrie spoiler special which is out now uh, the Star Wars one is coming up we're going to have a review of the year towards the end of the year and uh, a peep show a farewell to peep show podcast with its co-creators Sam Bain and Jesse Armstrong that'll be out in the next uh, the final episode's out next week I can't believe it peep show ends next week but Star Wars begins the force Chris awaken <laughs> Mark and Jez go to sleep Super hands goes to sleep and then the force awakens that's it it's all part of the great circle of life uh, so do keep your uh, ears peeled for those as well until then it is goodbye from Helen toodaloo it's goodbye from Phil cheerio and it's goodbye from me I am off to write a screenplay for the legend of Marsan because god damn it I want that film in my life <laughs> see you next week 